Hello and welcome to our first ever episode of DM's Book Club. A pun- <laughs> I've already fucked it up already. A podcast <laughs> where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. My name's Fiona and with me in his first podcasting host debut is Ryan Cook. The DM- power is immediately gone to my head. <laughs> <laughs> DM for the TBA Monday series on YouTube. How are you, Ryan? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I, I am also very good. This is incredibly weird as if we've had like, you know, we've not met <laughs> in no. real life and stuff. No, we haven't for months. So this is a sort of cathartic experience. That, that in, is really true. Way. So the reason that this podcast is a thing is that I wanted to do a project uh, that is... So basically, I'm not I'm vaguely knowledgeable about D&D and lore overall, but actually, spoiler, I'm not really, I've not really gone deep into it. I've not read all the books. And recently, I've been finding it a lot harder to read for pleasure or for research for games and stuff. I think it's a mixture of, you know, getting out of the habit of it and with the current stuff happening. So what better way to stop all that guilt tripping and to, you know, stop looking at those sad, unopened D&D books and start a brand new podcast with someone who, who I like, who likes me, (laughs) who who likes reading and has done a lot of their own reading for their own campaign. Mm. Yeah. No, when you pitched the idea, I I was a little bit curious because it was, I'm, I'm terrible for reading modules and then sticking to them on a piece by piece, this is how the the campaign unfolds. You know, you get given modules of here is a house, here is a person, if X happens, Y happens. It's all very clever and very interesting, but I never actually do that very well. I'm always get distracted and I always get a little bit, um, well, sidetracked with, with mm. the way I think about these things. So it's interesting for me to sort of dig into it. And I thought I totally waylay you by picking a chapter to start with that was a little <laughs> bit more open than mm. than sort of like a module it was more of a a lore dump in mm. in, in that way so yeah. to go through well giants and and the, the history about giants yeah i mean for, for me i am i feel like i am the complete opposite to you so i panic when it comes to having to create my own thing so instantly we'll go to the modules and then i feel like well this is this is what's happening. If they deviate, that's fine, but they'll eventually come back to this part of the module and I've got that keyed down. I can, I do do a bit of improv, so I do can do that, but to create my own world like you've done with uh, TBA Mondays is something that's currently beyond me, but I think it's a mixture <laughs> of uh, patience and doing a little bit of research and just having a bit more for planning. Well, see, I don't know. I think the way that you do it is is harder work. I have great respect that you, I mean, you've, you've role-played and, and DM'd multiple things for us where you have gone through an entire module that somebody has made where you've had to learn all of the background for it and what's happening and, mm. you know, all of all the, the sort of actual mechanics of it. What I do is, is essentially I scrap all that and just sort of daydream and, and fill in the gaps, really. <laughs> Well, I, don't know. It's, it's, I, I have great respect for the way you do it. But, um, well, we, we yeah. could talk about how, how we respect each other's DMing styles <laughs> off podcast anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about the topic today. So we're going to look at giants, specifically giants from the Volo's Guide to Monsters. Um, why did you pick this topic? Well, I've always liked giants because I've always liked monsters that are not necessarily good or evil. 
I find the definition of good and evil interesting, especially in, in D&D. But, but generally, when you look at fiction books and you, you get lost in a story or a tale of an adventure, things are more interesting when everything is not quite black and white, when you've got that element of grey in the middle of it, especially when it comes to the heroes. If, if the hero has got a little bit of edge to them, a little bit of an anti-hero vibe or isn't necessarily truly good, it can be more interesting and, you know, more righteous than thou, I am fantastic and, and golden. And I think villains and monsters in D&D are a lot more interesting if they're not necessarily evil. If they're not 100%, I have been created to destroy the world and I am the essence of entropy and darkness and consumption. And, you know, there are a lot of... um a lot of creatures in D&D, like evil dragons and devils and demons and Hadar and all kinds of monsters <laughs> that are very, you know, to the point. Mm. Giants are more complicated, and that's what kind of draws me to them. They are uh, varied, and there are many different types, and there is this all, you know, history to, to where they are and how they got there, and then the sort of place in whatever world you're putting them into it's very complicated because giants don't really, and quite literally don't fit into any situation you put them in. So trying to justify them and then trying to get your head around what they're after can be quite interesting, I think. Yeah, I mean, and I've talked to you about this before. I, when we first started facing giants in our own campaign in TBA Mondays and then reading it for, for this podcast, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around how big giants are like the actual height of them and i mm. wonder if that's because obviously we, we are both living currently in london and we're surrounded by very tall buildings so we i think we get naturalized to that sort of the height of things in general yeah. so i have a really weird perception of things in that sense until i think you sent across in our sort of whatsapp group the infographic that got put mm. out about the different sizes of giants yeah. and that's when it really clicked that me currently in real life standing next to a frost giant i would only come up to the knee so i was like oh that's like if i was a frost giant that would be like a toddler coming up to my knee but just a fully formed human being and for me before then i was like they must be as big as like skyscrapers and this is terrible and stuff like that so i i as i think i think i just couldn't process how big they actually were and even then putting it into that stuff me me being the size the size of their knee it's actually it's still frightening and yeah. the fact, you know, they you can hear them coming a mile off, almost like, you know, T-Rex style in uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a weird concept, which I, I think I agree with you with what you're saying. Like, it's not necessarily used often in role-playing games. You, you Like you said, you sort of go for, like, the big, like, oh, it's a dragon or a beholder or, or these sort of things. But actually, giants, they feel more natural. Like, yeah, of course you'd have bigger persons in any world, uh, yeah. whether they're in big clans or in small ones. So why won't you explore it? So yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah the size is, it, it is a little bit difficult to get your head around. I mean, the book somewhere describes the idea of a giant being essentially, it can it can walk up and just look into a second or third story window. That yeah. That's sort of the, the idea of, of the height. And you, yeah, it is weird because a lot of giants in movies and in books are represented as these like titan figures that mm. are, infinitely big you know faces the size of mountains and yeah and and just you know ridiculously big and they're not they're not crazy big they're mm. 20 23 feet depending on the type of giant and it's difficult to get your head around because 
yeah, as you say, the toddler reference is quite a good one. They would walk around and see people in the same way as we would see children. And, and it's not that humans are, uh, they are significant, but they are not worthy of trouble because of their, their size, effectively. I think what, weirdly, it was when I went on holiday and, and we were in Florence and there are these big statues, marble statues of, of sort of Romans and, and gods that are all about 18, 20 feet tall. And when you actually see the people and it's, 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 it's all of the like little details in a person that you wouldn't necessarily think about the, the shape of the face, the size of like a bicep inflated by like seven, eight times, <laughs> you, you start to get a sense of, you know what, actually that is, that is big. Mm. But weirdly, I think people think giants are bigger than they are. Yeah. And one of the problems I, I have with a lot of the way they get represented, you know, represented is 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 the 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 movement, as you said, the the noise of a giant walking about. If a giant were to come and stomp next to you, you would feel the ground rumbling. But a giant moving a valley away would not cause stones to move mm. in the thing. People have this idea that they are just infinitely big. They're not. They're just large huge <laughs> effectively but yeah getting your head around that is interesting mm, i think the other the other thing that made me laugh when i was reading this chapter was uh oh, where did i put it now it's like you like that thing going back to the the toddler sort of metaphor they can hear us but they but we're so far away with our tiny voices <laughs> that mm. they can't necessarily it's like oh god an effort to to actually pay attention and listen to them which i thought was quite quite interesting yeah. Um, but going back to you were saying it's about the good and evil. So in Volo's guide, it talks about the two things that are, well, there's many things that giants sort of appreciate, um, talking about sort of the good and evil aspects. So there's mot, which describes stuff that is good, and mog, which describes stuff as evil. And first of all, I, this is interesting. I think this is an American pronunciation of stuff because they put in like the actual how you pronounce it. So obviously <laughs> how it's spelt so for mog, M-A-U-G, I would pronounce that as maug, as in smaug, because <laughs> that's, that's just what I've been brought up with. So that's, that completely confused me. For a bit. Yeah, it's more of a morgue, isn't it? Like, a, uh, yeah, that sort yeah. of Germanic Norse sort of use of it. Yeah. I find if you want to say giant words you need to bring your voice as low as possible because the things that they are big and they rumble and and you know the the, the lungs of these creatures are going to be at a pitch that's way below like a real bassy tone so if you mm. if you go low when you you know more you know really go low it feels better i don't know it, it, maybe it's just the well, mental thing well no well, you, well again speaking of tba mondays you've you've role played quite a few giants recently like what was that <laughs> what was that to uh, awful interview question but how did you prepare for the role of, <laughs> of various frost giants that we faced it's interesting when, when you pick up a character that, that you know people are going to talk about you've got to think about like what are they like what do they don't like who in the group are they going to really take a shining to what are their motives and all this sort of thing and giants they they don't look at a party in the same way as uh, an innkeeper or a merchant would because the party don't matter to them. They are insignificantly small, um, fleeting lives, fleeting purpose, and, and normally they're just intruding on giant land. Giants are very detached, mm. and they have a great sense of themselves and how important they are, and, and not necessarily that everything else is unimportant, but they just don't even consider it. There's this sort of like... Uh, like absence of thought to the matter. Mm. So you, you've got to kind of think about it from that point of view. It's, you know, if, if a party ask a question about, you know, 
how do they get what they need to get from something? A giant would not necessarily disagree or, or dislike that question, but they would never have thought about, well, yeah, you want something? Oh, I guess that's probably true, but but what about what I want? It, it's, so it, it's a mentality you've got to get into, I think, more mm. than anything else. So, so when we did it in our campaign, we, we've you, you encountered multiple giants and they obviously there are different personalities but the thing i was trying to always give the sense of was that you know you can prove yourself to a point mm. in our eyes and we will respect you to a point but you are not a giant mm. and you will never be important with what we're doing so you you know you, your presence here is tolerated mm. that's the sort of sense you get and it's not an evil thing it's more of a we because we are big and powerful yeah yeah that sort of detachedness to everything else because yeah they're they're all about like their own actions being like either enhances or diminishes their own giantness so if you're not a giant already then it's just like yeah i think because it says in the book like non-giants are considered uh mog out of hand anyway so you have to prove yourself to do it but ultimately you'll never get there yeah, they don't have the concept of good and evil in the same way. It's just a concept of giant or not giant. Things, things are either more giant or less giant. And and, and I'm sure, sure you'll probably mention it in a bit, but, but there's this idea of the ordering, which mm. which I've always liked this idea of the ordering because it, it really does hark back to proper Norse mythology and, and into the real sort of like, uh, you know, the fairy tale stuff of, of like the history of giants. But this sense that giants have a like an order of the best giants or the worst giants. Mm-hmm. And as for all their intelligence and for all of their uh, loftiness and, and, you know, detachment, the way they live is actually incredibly basic and fundamental and mm-hmm. almost a bit racist in the way that they see yes. it. <laughs> it is it's very black and white. It is, I am more giant than you and therefore you will bend the knee. It's like mm-hmm. a caste system almost. Yeah. So I find that, that juxtaposition quite interesting. And you're right, it's, it's not necessarily that giants see humans or small people as evil, but they are not giants. And a giant mm-hmm. being assisted by a not giant is... Well, and and it's slight on themselves. Mm, um, I mean, we in in our campaign we had a little bit of a well, you had a way around because obviously your character has this this giant connection, so there mm. is this sort of acceptability of like, well, we'll forgive the situation. We you, you've got enough of the claim. You've got a here. pass just now, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's keeping that sort of that that's the thing about playing a monster as opposed to a person it's it's more of an opinion it's it is an actual way of mm. being that you've always got to keep in the back of your head as to how someone will react mm. um yeah and i absolutely. like it when that's not necessarily evil it's just different yeah like yeah like you said the sort of shades of gray i quite like mm. that so I know I've asked you this several times during our campaign, but can you go over the history of the ordinary for us? <laughs> Just explain <laughs> it to the listeners. I obviously know it all off by heart, but <laughs> the good, good coming from you, the expert on giants. Well, it seems a shame to take it away from you. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, the sort of simplicity to the ordering is, it is just sort of like, the connection to what I say is so in D and D. There's this concept of the author, this this deity, the original giant 
pantheon effectively this this all father created the giants and ruled over this giant kingdom and every edition of D calls it something different and every time somebody who loves norse mythology looks at it they will get incredibly angry about <laughs> what this particular edition is calling it um mm. but in this book it's called ostoria i don't know again pronouncing yeah. it ostoria you just ostoria. go knowing it makes more sense yeah exactly mm. think think real um saruman you know, pronunciation. Mm. <laughs> but um, there's this concept of the kingdom of the giants and the giants ruled over everything. They are old, they are ancient. Thousands of thousands of years ago, they, they were in control. This large kingdom and the Orthava and the Ordening and what sort of bound them together. The thing about giants is they're all incredibly different. You've got storm giants, which are intelligent, the power of lightning and oceans, the tallest, the strongest, I mean, you go right down to hill giants, which are effectively mm. just brutish mouths on legs that, that yeah. just eat and are very animalistic in the way they deal with things. But these things are related. I mean, you, if you imagine humans in a similar situation, if, you, if, if we were on the top, I mean, you had humans right the way down to almost sort of like primate intelligence sort of connected to us, it would be a very strange link so so binding all that into one empire but the ordering was effectively what did that it was this caste system of i am in charge of you you are in charge of this person and the more giant you are the further you rise up the ordering and the the less giant you are the better mm. or the worse effectively somebody else will, will climb into your place and the interesting thing and sort of why in in D the giants fell was that there was always this sort of slight disconnect as to what one giant thought the ordning was mm. compared to another. Cloud giants, for instance, which are this sort of second tier, these very intelligent but very fickle mm. giants, very um uh selfish and greedy and manipulative giants. For them, you know, being more giant, climbing up the ordning is is accumulating and then showing wealth to mm. to to hoard treasure whereas for a frost giant for instance uh, treasure is of very little importance if it's not ripped from the hands of something they've killed mm. uh, and i think it sort of describes this this tale where for whatever reason be it a lack of cohesion some sort of cataclysmic event this this edition describes a war with with dragons as being a a long and, and sustained problem for the giants um that sort of sapped away at the power of the empire but i like to think of it as a bit more fundamental than just a big war i mean yeah. it, it seems more interesting anyway that effectively the empire disintegrated and the ordering took on this sort of weird significance where Giants understand that one type of giant is better than another type of giant, but each giant has its own sense of what is mat and what is morg, effectively. Mm. Um, or mot on morg. <laughs> How do you pronounce that? We'll never get the pronunciation right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, speak, speaking of sort of cloud giants, because again, I have so limited uh, experience with sort of the different kinds of giants. Um, I, obviously, I, in our own campaigns, but in general, when I think of a giant, I think of uh, like uh, the hill giants, essentially. So creatures that just keep eating. So there's like I think for me, when I first ever, if I think of giants in general, I think of uh, the cyclops from uh, Hercules, who's just tearing down um, Athens in the Disney film, or um, 
yeah, basically that sort of thing, like a, a brutish, not very intelligent or not very smart creature that just eats and eats and eats. But actually, obviously, playing D and D and finding out more about giants, it's for me like looking looking at all this list, like as obviously I'm like these are all amazing. But there's all, there's also like um, how do you describe it? Not like uh, the one giant that's sort of like this is definitely a cloud giant because it is so extreme in what it is. But in for cloud giants, they're called the smiling ones, where as you said, so the cloud giants have this the reason they they feel like you know have to show of wealth and nobility and this idea of um it is better to give a gift than to receive it which i thought was really great like they're constantly giving out sort of their wealth to lesser uh wealthy families and stuff which i thought was <laughs> brilliant um but the idea so they seldom show their faces but they wear masks of precious metals and sort of gemstones in different moods and the more masks you have to sort of indicate the different moods the wealthier it is oh and i just I wish I had masks like that. I, <laughs> I think you know you know better than anyone, Ryan, that I cannot hide my emotions, certainly when I'm playing D&D. So the idea of having just a ton of masks that I can just put on and just uh, you know, disguise what I'm truly feeling, I just, it, it, that for me does feel like very villain-esque. Like you, you're showing one face and hiding another. So I, I feel like for me currently, like I really enjoy like looking at the Cloud Giants because again, it feels like out of all of them, they are sort of the the smuggest bastards of the lot. <laughs> Smug is a really good way of thinking about them. Yeah, yeah, because it's that sort of mixture of intelligence, but then the lack of application to then be self-aware mm. that they, they know that they're vain, but they can't do anything about it because they haven't really truly appreciated how far they've gone down that path. It's, mm. it's a funny old one, yeah. Cloud giants and, and storm giants, uh, fire giants to an extent, they, they give a lot of a lot of opportunity to imagine giants in a much more civilized um, way. And I always find that's quite fun. Monsters, the word kind of in D&D, you kind of think of a monster as just something that that will attack, you roll initiative, you fight it, and then it's off. But giants can be more than that. They can be civilizations. They can be towns and cities and trading posts and whatever. And again, you've picked up Faceless One. The one that gets me is there's a picture in the book of a fire giant sat on a throne mm. with somebody like a, like a human that is come and is effectively either paying tribute or trying to trade or begging for their life. It's difficult to know what they're doing, but I like that idea that you've got this King sat on a throne and, and effectively this, this giant clan, they are human to all intents and purposes, except from the fact that they're bloody big. And that's, <laughs> I quite enjoy that because you sort of start to get into a sense of, you know what, actually, God, these things are, are powerful. That even really realizing it, it's just this inherent strength and, and size and and, so and a, ability. Yeah, there's a great quote in the book which talks about again. It sort of emulates that sort of like how giants see non-giants, but particularly with fire giants, they talk about like they view the same they, they view humans the same way that humans view horses. They've got utility if properly directed, <laughs> which yeah, I think is great. Exactly. Like, yeah, just being certainly fire giants, which I know we've yet to come to uh, in TBA Mondays, but we, like spoilers in general, uh, we've just played a session uh, last night where we introduced to, to the giants. And I knew as soon as you described the guard, we were in so much shit, but I couldn't really reveal it because what you were describing was essentially two dreadnought fire giants who, again, the image in the book, it's terrifying. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself, we can't see this giant currently as players, like we're just imagining it from your descriptions. But 
if I was there as a real-life adventurer seeing that creature, my first thought isn't exactly what we would have done. I would have run in the opposite direction. I go, yeah. you know what? It's totally off this yeah. adventure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult trying to imagine it. 20 feet of solid plate armor and, and shields and, and it's just it's big and it moves and and it's yeah just be, you can imagine just the size of the armor just scraping against itself as it moves and mm. and the weight of these things coming down i mean for me i've really enjoyed putting giants into the campaign because you get to think about uh, different environments and we've we just spent a lot of time with frost giants as it, mm. the last arc of our campaign was was dealing with a lot of, of tundra and snow and we've done we've done a few sort of alpine adventures recently but this was the first sort of properly cold and, and remote sort of setting we had in that way mm. and it was fun to describe you know the frost giants as these sort of hunter-gatherers very tribal very very powerful and dangerous but but without much sort of driving purpose other than sort of existing. And then you found them in a bit of a state of sort of civil unrest effectively. Mm. But fire giants Again, it's, it's just it's taking another tack. It's, it's the same type of monster, very similar stats. If, if you actually, from a, from a mechanics point of view, look at a frost giant and a fire giant, very, very similar, very, very similar. Giants are very easy to, to and if you're ever planning on, on doing a high-level campaign and you need monsters to throw in that are tough but are not difficult to run, giants are a good, a good example of something that's just big. And, and it can do a few things, and that's all it can do. Mm. So it, mechanically, fire giants are very, very similar to frost giants, but they are very different in the sense that they're the only evil giant of mm. the book, apart from, I think, kill giants may be classed as evil, technically. Yeah. But these things are just, they have a viewpoint on humans and, and small people. As you say, they are horses, slaves, people to for their own use because they are the most important things and it's just it's a totally different so, so, so from my point of view it's very fun to sort of switch tack and, and try and put a whole new scheme on on like a like a slant on on what we're doing well you kind of did so again going back to the frost giants and again i know spoilers for tba mondays but you should be watching it already to be honest with you um <laughs> So with the final arc, I'll, I'll describe it as much as, as much as I can, and then Ryan will correct me completely. So ultimately on this uh, island of Frostwell, which is essentially Norway, um, <laughs> our, our, our sort of main mission was to uh, kill a certain frost giant, uh, Viscras, who is the leader of the frost giants, which had been some tension and stuff. And we'd heard sort of rumours and people telling us that Viscras had taken power from the clan and but he'd done it ungiant-like, uh, mm. not through strength. And I don't think that really rang true for us. Like, clearly we knew something was afoot until we got there, um, sort of fought our way and sneaked our way in, and then finally saw him. And, and then only till I read this sort of chapter did I sort of see what you were sort of going for. There's in, in the book, they talk about if giants ever... Because obviously in the book, as you said, so they obviously the old father, and then they ha he has six sons, which are obviously all named for different sort of like different mm. iterations of giants. And once the ordering happened, and or the breaking of the ordering, sorry, and the old father cast them out, instead of them uh, praying to the old father and sort of looking up to him, giants started praying to their own sons, as it were, all the different sons. Now, if a giant decides to pray to something else that's not a giant. Um, 
it's obviously ungiant like and seen as a great sin. And in Frost Giants, there was something called the Everlasting One. Uh, no, that's not it. Is it that one? No. It's yeah. The, yeah, is it, it was, is it that one? I think it might have been called that one, yeah. Yeah, where you, the, the Frost Giants essentially starts worshipping uh, as like a troll type deity or some sort, and they have to eat a troll and eating that sort of the, the sacrifice and then sort of it makes them the boldest and most determined. But, and here's the thing that got me, um, once you start eating them, you gain the strength and you become, you have a regenerative ability, but injuries can go wrong and you can get, uh, <laughs> you can get this and including sort of discolored skin, warty scars, extra digits and even extra heads. And I was like, oh, that sounds very similar to what we saw. <laughs> this <laughs> horrific... <laughs> You know, not even like uh, it wasn't recognizable as a giant, just this creature just full with different heads, another arm and stuff, and then having to to fight it. Yeah. Um, again, again, it's something I'd never come across before. I haven't really even thought about. And it goes back to what you're saying about like giants not necessarily being good or evil. This is something that a, a giant sort of fall from grace, which I thought yeah. was really interesting. And that's that's what I was trying to sort of get at the fact that there is a big clan of frost giants and they've had a leader that's been disposed by a younger, stronger individual. That would not necessarily be a fundamental shaking point of, of the giant because that is the ordering in action. Eventually a frost giant will grow up, mm. will see the leader and go, I'll have you and we'll, we'll take them on and win. Mm. It was the fact that it was done in such a, a like a morgue way, such an anti-giant way mm. that, whilst half of them sort of begrudgingly accepted, well, you are in charge, you are the most powerful, the other half went, well, hang on, but this is so non-giant, we we no longer respect your place in the ordning. And there was this sort of um, like a deep-rooted issue where they were questioning their very sort of civilization. And that's what, you know, the bit of the background behind it. Mm. Once this had happened, the giants effectively split in two and this civil strife occurred because half of them could accept the leader and half of them couldn't because this thing was horrific and eventually they sort of scraped together and 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 this person in charge as you say the injuries that that sort of deal with not with the devil but with with this case of the hag and, and the troll and and the sort of that element of corruption it's a deal that it may look good at the time, but maybe the individual making the deal did not really understand the full implications of it. And eventually this thing starts to just corrupt and corrupt and corrupt. And again, I like that idea in my stories of not necessarily true evil. Somebody who maybe is not an evil person that does one thing that's evil and then that has implications. Yeah. Exactly. Does that then become an evil person or have they just been taken along from a ride mm. by something that's a lot more evil? Or were they evil enough in the first place to make that decision? It's, I like to throw that sort of moral quandary. And giants have intelligence. They have thought and they have this sort of idea of what's what. So that's really fun to play with, with sort of that combination. And it's sort of on the other side of it, something that we've not, I, I again, haven't discovered and wouldn't, something we've not explored yet, but it's presumably at some point, uh, stone giants who are very interesting. Like I see them as the sort of the hippies of the ordering in a way like they don't believe that the surface is as it is it's just a dream state mm. and nothing is permanent up there everything they you know they they're underground and that sort of thing and they take great pains to be apart from it but then when they go up there they kind of go mad and they see visions and stuff so a bit sort of like you know the visionaries the sort of witch doctors i i that's how i imagine them 
yeah and again I, again sort of i imagine it as a very slow sort of very peaceful but have these visions of of, of awfulness but obviously for us as humans this is our normal life <laughs> what's, yeah. what's going on down there <laughs> it's not happening up here Exactly, exactly. And, that, and it's a good example of something that's a little more complicated. I mean, you, you, these stone giants are not as powerful as any of the giants above them. I think they are sort of second or third in, in the rung mm. from the bottom. But they are generally considered to be wise because they're the only ones that actually stop and think beyond their own physical strength. And it's more of, a, as you say, a more philosophical approach, the more sort of, yeah, that application of wisdom that they mm. try and do is it's just really interesting. Yeah. So I guess from, obviously we've talked a lot about giants, who knew? Um, what, what is like the one thing you would change about how they're depicted in the book? Or one thing that you're like, that's really cool. How would you make it go further, would you say? I think, and maybe this is just sort of, uh, I, I always get a little bit of a, I, I never like to be sort of hedged into a box with how things are described. Often, you know, you've got a source book, the book can only be so big and it can only think of things in so many ways. But giants, because they are split into these sort of six categories, um, you know, the multiple categories of giants, you know, the hills, stones, frosts, fires, clouds, storms, these, these things are all very distinct. And because of that, I feel like that, you know, sometimes people get very hedged into, well, if it's this sort of giant, they must be like this. And if there's this sort of giant, they must be like this. When actually that's not necessarily true, even within a subclass of, of monster, and especially with giants, which are, which are so varied, you will get different personalities and different types within that particular category. So for instance, fire giants are quite, you know, broadly described as being these sort of slave drivers who like to craft and are poor planners and 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 have these sort of very thickly disjointed empires. But there's this one line that sort of goes on about, oh, well, if they had a leader that was really powerful mm. or, or could plan, then fire giants could be incredibly tough. And it's that's the sort of thing that I like to think about. It, it's it's the options. What sort of types of fire giants can you get? Do you get what what sort of mindsets can you get? Mm-hmm. And I was like, when, when a book goes into a little bit of, um, yeah, gives you, gives you differences, gives you ideas of like, well, here's one way that the fire giants might set up. Here's a second way they may be. I mean, it, it, it's at that point you can see the differences and you can kind of start to blend it. Mm. So I like to imagine, yeah, different characters. And I'm aware that source books, you know, can sometimes be very, they have to be quite direct because they're quite, sort of limited in scope and and you've only got so many pages to work with but Mm. i feel like with giants because there are so many different types and the giants only get one chapter each Mm. part gets a much smaller part than they would normally do with say you know in this same book there's there's like things about orcs and hags and beholders and i feel like they're explained a lot more Mm. if that makes sense yeah, definitely, because yeah, with the different types of giant or different sort of... Uh, mm. Yeah, I definitely can see that. I think for me, what's interesting, and I, I totally understand why this is the case, and they, in, in a recent adventure, Storm King's Thunder, they've changed it a little bit, 
So for me, if anyone knows who I am, <laughs> if anyone knows who I am, that's that's a line that's not going <laughs> on the podcast. Know how you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I obviously I'm very much very like great, but where are the women? Where are this and the other? And obviously in Norse culture. There are actually, there were, you know, female Vikings and there are, you know, female leaders and stuff. And I, I know that in, in when we spoke to Frost Giants, we had a female uh, leader there. And that's great. In the book, it talks about the old father and his six sons. And then for a paragraph, there's like some others <laughs> who are, uh, there's like um, the partner, Othea. Uh, oh, this is where I'm, mm. pronunciation's not going to be great. There's the Huntress <laughs> and Home, Hytia. Uh, yeah. Love and Peace, which is La Lanus. And then yeah. the really interesting one, which is Diacastra. Di <laughs> yep, I'm not dubbing that over. Um, <laughs> but those are the four ones. And it's like, okay, we've got the partner, because obviously, you know, you can't have the old father without some sort of partner. And then you've got Love, a Huntress and Home. So, so maybe you're thinking of like an Athena type character. Mm. Love and Peace, you think, oh, maybe Aphrodite esque. And then Impness, an arrogant trickster. Oh, a Loki type character in essence and that's kind of it and I was a bit like oh okay because I, I was like that's really interesting and I know obviously in other religions and stuff there are like certainly in like Egyptian religion religions there are more uh there's a more balance between male presenting and female presenting etc and mm. I was like oh, I'd be cool to have even like half the sons being maybe female instead but in Storm King's Thunder, which is interesting, because I've not read Storm King's Thunder, and I, I appreciate, Brian, you probably haven't either. No, I haven't. It's interesting. So essentially, it's a whole adventure about giants. And you start off protecting a town, and then oh, something's not right with the giants nearby. And you have to sort of work out what's wrong. Eventually, you, you eventually go to one of the one of five different giants' sort of uh, clan HQ to get a key Sorry, I'm explaining this very badly. This is Fiona's poor attempt at... <laughs> probably will make this into a session. Fiona badly explains a module. Um, <laughs> you you get get a key to teleportation, and then you the cool bit, I find, is like... So out of the four, out of the four, six of them, you've got the five giants, and then you go to what's called the Maelstrom, which is a cloud giant's castle, which we've not really touched upon, but cl cloud giants can make castles in the sky. And that's really fucking cool. And then you have to sort of fight your way and discover what's happened to the the king, etc. And a lot of the a lot of the characters in it, or a lot of these uh, dramatic personas, as sort of described, is that uh, you've got a good mixture of male and female giants, which is great. The only sort of downside, and it it does happen a lot more now that I'm aware of it, is that at the beginning, the the main sort of like the, the storm king, essentially, his partner just gets killed, and they use that sort of motive as like, well, that's why he's gone, and the giants are sort of acting up a little bit and I'm like well that's a shame like I, I understand like that's has always been a motive to to move a plot along like your loved one has died or has been mm. captured and you have to do it but like for me I'm like oh these these are really cool and it's nice to see them not necessarily being oh it's it's the king or it's it's good and that's the thing for me in D&D &D in general and I'm sure we'll cover this in other podcasts is that I've got to that point now where I have to stop thinking as thinking that monsters are necessarily male uh, like I think the biggest one for me was when again earlier on in TBA Mondays we'd gone to the on the Beggar's Bowl, which is an mm. island, various things, and we'd gone inside a a thing, and I hadn't read I hadn't clocked that it was hags for whatever reason, and I was just like, and it completely threw me because I was like, oh shit, of course the of course we can have female monsters or or big bad evil people that can outwit the party, 
and that was really it was interesting because I hadn't really clocked that so it's just again trying to challenge my own assumptions uh, as well as other people just maybe having more female presenting stuff who aren't necessarily good or are flawed in some way mm. so that that's something I would probably take forward is that if, if I was ever to introduce giants into something else I wouldn't necessarily I would try and make them more sort of at least a bit more balanced in terms of male or female yeah the D&D is it's going through a, a definite sort of period of change with that sort of thing. I mean, fifth edition was a definite step towards a conscious effort to, to introduce more equality and diversity across the board through, through everything. And it's interesting when you see the initial three core books. So when obviously the player's handbook, Dungeon Master, Monster Manual came through, very distinct effort to to introduce a lot of equality into those books. I mean, if you read through the player's handbook, it's amazing how just within the description of a, a class or something, it will swap between male and female pretty much every sentence, every feat, like all of these things sort of make a conscious effort to do it. But I do find some of the modules that have gone on, it's sort of not necessarily slipped back into its old ways, but certainly a lot of the modules that come through, people like the old stuff. You know, one one of the, the things, the reoccurring things that, that comes back a lot is the drow, which are, yeah. you know, if, if you don't know, the drow are these subterranean evil elves, effectively, that have made a pact with uh, Lolf, I think, this, this sort of evil spider demon goddess. And that, 40, 50 years ago, the drow were very much of a sort of different age where things were definitely more acceptable back then and are not acceptable now. These, you know, kinky, evil warrior women that would enslave men and do things to them. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's interesting when you see the old stuff that comes through, D&D will always have a giant campaign. It'll always have a dragon campaign. It'll always have a demon campaign. These things are, I mean, um, uh, the book with um, uh, the boats in it recently uh, that came uh, out. Uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Saltmarsh. Saltmarsh yeah. is a good example of someone that's been kicking around for ages and ages and ages in D&D. And often when these old things get brought in, they don't quite get updated into the same way. And I think sometimes, yeah, the Giants is a good example of this law was brought in in a much earlier stage. Mm. And there's opportunity to update it. And some of these things have been updated and some of them haven't. And... Mm. Maybe that's a good thing with giants. Like giants give you an opportunity to really throw your individuality and your sort of sense of the quality onto things. You, you know, this is what's so good about D&D. You can switch around the, the pantheon. You can switch mm -hmm. around the individuals and the types. And you can have your own opinion of what is more or less giant in your particular world. Mm -hmm. And maybe it isn't just raw strength. It's strength and intelligence. It's yeah. more, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, and I think, and even wizards say, if you run a module and it doesn't quite go to plan or they do something else, that's totally canon. Your version of Waterdeep is canon in the world of D&D. &D. And yeah. I think that doesn't get through enough to people. And like, like we'll probably go on when we, when we do more of these episodes, but like the sort of history of the Forgotten Realms in general, so like Waterdeep, uh, Neverwinter, all those things are really interesting, like, jumping off points like uh neverwinter and i only know this because i vaguely saw a map there's a massive chasm <laughs> in it and that happened because there was like some mountain next to it and it exploded and they've not been able to repair it but obviously as history goes on they do something to repair it but you don't have to have it in there you just like this is never because unless you are 
also a D and D DM who's who's read all the books, and then uh, in the unlikely scenario, you're then playing in a campaign <laughs> as well. <laughs> you're, the players are never going to know, you know. Yeah. So I think that's the main key takeaway from from I think all these episodes from Clark. Like these things are really cool, but they're only ever jumping off points, and you yeah. can take them as you win, and that's that's kind of that's really cool. So exactly, exactly. So, we're going to try something. <laughs> in the last sort of dying minutes of the, of the recording, we're going to try a sort of language game, because in the book, there is um, a glossary of giant terms. <laughs> and I kind of sprung this on you before we started recording. No, no, no. It's, I should really get my teeth around these and insult every single Scandi listener around in one day. <laughs> I was saying to Fiona before, my understanding of how you say giant words just seems to be go as low as possible. Yeah. Imagine you're this huge entity with sort of billowing lungs full of bassy, dulcet tones. It just seems to make more sense, but we'll see if this works. We'll see if it works. So have you, have you got the book in front of you or you've got the, the list? I do, book? yeah. Okay, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> see, you're prepared. So it's on, page, it's on page 20 if people want to follow along. Let's, let's start with the phrases at the top. So can you read uh, the first phrase that's at the top? Like, if I say what the phrase is and then you've got to do it in giant. Okay. Work, right? Okay, so the first phrase is, what is your tribe and rank? <laughs> Is he? Oh God, this is terrible. <laughs> the problem is, it's all the vowels, isn't it? They go yeah. in different places. I would suggest it would be something like Vodon Stormrod, something Ooh, like that. That's very um, <laughs> Dradoon from uh, Doctor Who. I like. That. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you give me, give me one then to all try. Right. <laughs> all right, give I, I give you respect. How would you say that? Uh, okay, I haven't really thought this through. So if you, okay, do my Dradoon voice, okay. Um, exactly. You see, it's the raspy lowness to it that I think murder <laughs> when you say these things. But right. often people people get torn on on you know really caught on on exact accents and things. Yeah, often just having fun with it. People will go along with it. It's 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 just just be shameless with it. Yeah, I I did an interview recently for another podcast, uh, and they were like, "How do you get over performance anxiety?" I was like, "Well, it's not." we're not in, we're not in private it's fine but also <laughs> i just do it because the worst that can happen is you don't like it and nobody else likes it and then you just don't ever do it again like i i remember our first oh god you oh it's going back but when we did our first D session together uh in your in the one before uh Zerios, i was playing uh my 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 lovely gnome artificer nix I thought I'd, I settled on the first session a Liverpoolian accent, and that quickly, <laughs> quickly got got it taken out. Quick! I don't know where that went because I, I couldn't it, keep but... it up. <laughs> I got very self-conscious. Yeah. Uh, How would you go, man? How would you say attack our enemies? Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Damn. Okay, because that one looks really hard. Because there's like I know quite a few <laughs> using it. Okay. And spell, sir. sir. <laughs> It's a v, there's a V in, is it? U V E N I R. I answer. Answer. So veneer. Oh, veneer. Yeah, I'd say that, definitely. All right, I'll, I'll give you, uh, do uh, lead me to your king for me. Fong Meg So Don Kong. Don Kong, yeah. I like, I like, but then you just say Kong like King Kong, and it just feels wrong. Yeah, it feels and, and like I, it's not. Yeah, yeah. But actually, looking at the glossary as well, like I was saying, oh, well, Kong is king. That makes sense. And then Gil is gold, which I quite liked. 
but then and again it, i only realized this once we read this because well, again back to tba mondays we've got to got to keep you know promoting that show um we had a one-on-one session where my character uh discovered more about giant heritage and you kept, <laughs> you kept saying jotun's daughter and i was like i know i know that means something and then obviously reading it, Jotham is giant. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that makes more sense now. <laughs> I read the chapter. Uh, so I, 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 thought, I figured that Dottie um, or Dotter was daughter because I've seen I've seen mm. some CrossFit uh, athlete videos, and their last name is, is something Dotter. And I was like, oh, so that's daughter. Yeah, that, that's an Icelandic thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm a daughter of something. I hope it's good. And then I was like, oh. Now it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, Yorton. Yeah, it's, it's it's all just like big long O's, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. as I say, just you, you have fun with the with the pronunciation and actually just using the words, even if you don't pronounce them right. It's, it's half of the battle. Yeah, like yeah, Yorton's daughter. Yotun's it's daughter. not pronounced correctly at all. All right, but... I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you one more to do. I'm right. gonna give you the hard one. Okay. <laughs> so, so my name is Redwind of a Thousand Evils. <laughs> Redwind. To send more and more calm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I really like, you need one of those voice um, changes, don't you? You oh, used to have at to school just to lower your pitch by about three octaves and just. Just, just it... stop the session, go, can you just give me two seconds as I get out <laughs> the computer? <and> just... <laughs> <laughs> You've seen giants in uh, multiple settings now with. With, with TVA and how I've been throwing them in. And, and obviously you see something quite regularly. You, you get a little bit caught up in, in one person sort of image of, of giants. But I mean, what do you think to sort of stories and, and examples of giants that you've seen? Like, where do you, do you, can you think of any giants that you've enjoyed or, or sort of styles of giants or how they're portrayed? So yeah, I, I had, like I said, I had the really off the, the the bad image of giants of sort of the Cyclops from from Hercules and stuff. But that, that, when I was thinking of stuff for this, I was thinking like, what else have I read giants in or read about? And the BFG was one where again, the the sizing is often in my head, but it's like like you were saying before about the oh, it's actually a good giant, and all the evil giants are the really again, it's all oh man, they're all hill giants, aren't they? Apart from the BFG, <laughs> who probably is a stone giant. Anyway, so or He's something got that like sort that. Sort of long look to him, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and then the the other thing I thought of was Gulliver's Travels, which again, it's been years since I I saw the film, didn't read the book because I'm again not really good at reading. But in that, Gulliver plays himself as a giant and then as a small person, and and I think vice versa or something like that. So he gets to experience both sides of it which again happens in TBA Mondays, which at the time I didn't realize till much later when you're like, dude, this, this place is much bigger than you remember. I was like, oh, fuck. This is, this is not good. <laughs> so I think, yeah, just having different sort of, uh, like, yeah, I think, like you said, overall, what I think we're all suggesting is just being more open to interpretation and seeing giants as not necessarily like the monsters of the piece, but actually they've been here well before uh, the adventurers have and may be here for a long time after just because of their long lifespans and mm. if you ever encounter one you need to treat it as a momentous occasion rather than a one-off uh oh there's a giant it's called terry bye terry you know like i think i think that's i think that's what i would do if i was ever going to run a one-shot 
with giants in it. I would make it so that they you maybe that if the Avengers knew about it or not, that's beside the point. But I think they need to be shown that giants aren't uh, aren't fucking about essentially. Because mm. again, the other thing uh, that's that I remember they like. They're like games of stones, which I really like. The idea of like, if you show your strength uh, for a giant, that one giant will throw a stone as far as they can, then you, the other giant or, or whoever goes to that stone and then tries to throw it back to that same space. And if it goes further, then obviously that other giant is stronger. But if it, miss, if it doesn't get that far or, or, or squashes the person there, yeah. it, that, that's a great way of testing strength. And I was like, exactly. that's cool. I like that. <laughs> Simple, to the point. And none exactly. of us pissing about business. So yeah. yeah, there's this interesting theory I've read before where people are trying to work out why humans have been so successful in terms of like intelligence and and obviously we're we're the the apex creature on on earth and and, and why and, and people have sort of speculated that it's because humans are actually pretty pants at everything. We don't have <laughs> you know thick coats. We don't have natural weapons. We don't have the ability to climb or to last long distances or to survive on very you know like we, we can't hibernate. None none of these things cool things that animals can do. Humans just can't do them. So we effectively have to outthink and improvise our way out. Mm-hmm. The way I like to think about giants is that they they have this sort of attitude to life because they're kind of halfway they they have the intelligence to improvise but actually they've been gifted you know gifted a lot of these abilities they're huge size the ability to throw rocks the ability to conjure lightning or to survive in fire all of these things mean that they've never really had to change Mm -hmm. so the idea of changing for them is quite alien because they already can do this sort of stuff so that's that's how i like to think about it is is that yeah the giant has its way of doing things yeah, um, and and it's very unlikely to change. Or it's like because why you know, would it need to? Exactly. Yeah, it's like the, again the old trope of like of of someone going out with someone else goes oh but it's okay I can fix them. You can't really fix giants. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't realize that its way of doing something is an eight out of ten way because it's <laughs> everyone else that's doing it in the three out of ten way and thinking well why would I ever change? But actually, it's up to the adventurer to to be clever and to come up and, and eventually, I mean, as you say, like the, the party of you guys can, can take giants on now, even though they're four or five times your height. And it's to a giant that would never even be a thing. You would never even consider that as a possibility. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just like the way they think trying to get in their heads. Yeah. Oh, you, you make it sound like we're much, in, we're smarter than we normally are. <laughs> if you ever watch TVA Mondays, you'll find out it's, it's a lot of planning. There was, there was some interesting panic. choices last session, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan, for talking to me about giants for like an hour and a little bit. This has been really a lot of fun. Thank you. I, thank you for putting up with a topic that I've been actually researching and know about just from our game. I feel like I, I've, we should talk about something that's maybe not something I, I know anything about. <laughs> oh, funny, funny. You should segue into that. Um, so I, I'm going to pick the topic for the next time we record. And I, I like the idea of sticking with monsters. Like I, quite, I think that's a really cool aspect. So I'm going to talk, well, we're going to read about Mind Flayers. That's in the Volo's Guide to Monsters. So that's page is uh, 71 to 81, if you want to have a read of those and get ready for our discussion. And I've ran a few 
well, I've ran uh, the same one shot, I think three or four times now, um, involving a Mind Flayer, which uh, you, Ryan, have, have actually played in, the, uh, mm-hmm. the Lost Kenku. So um, probably we'll talk about, <laughs> talk about that next time, as well as sort of other things. Definitely. I'm curious to see how the other attempts went compared to mine. <laughs> I I couldn't possibly comment. (laughs) Brilliant. So do do you have anything you'd like to, as they say, plug or or, or sort of like, where can people follow you at? Well, I don't know if you've mentioned at all that we do a D&D stream or or, or like session, do we? Yeah, TBA Mondays. You Ah. should look for the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, and I, I keep myself busy. I, I run a, a YouTube channel called Ursa Ryan where we play lots of, well, Civ is normally what we play. Um, but that's where I can be found. Great. And I obviously run What Am I Rolling, a twice monthly RPG one shot podcast where I do things other than D&D because I actually really enjoy D&D and I feel I'm actually not as good at running that. So I have to improvise with uh, running other systems which other people enjoy as well. As recently we've ran uh the quiet year that came out which was with sam uh, one of our players in uh tba mondays and just coming out just now uh depending on when this is released uh we're just doing uh mars colony which is a political sci-fi with david the other player we've got in our room. so everyone's really involved in we get around don't we? <laughs> we get around <laughs> thank you so much for, for joining us and we will i guess see you next time see you later And we really need to think of an ending. <laughs> <laughs>